Rocks for Homes by Charles Barnard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rocks for Homes by Charles Barnard. The first poems were trees. There are many good people who would feel dreadfully hurt if you were to tell them that they came from the lowest kind of savages, that their foreparents fought with wild beasts for food, and crept into trees for sleep and rest. It is in one sense humiliating, in another it should make us proud of our race. The first men were, no doubt, poor, ill-fed, ill-clothed, badly sheltered creatures from whom, could we see them, we should shrink in mingled pity and horror. Yet they were men. The seeds of civilization were in their hearts. A million years or more, it is now thought, have passed since the primeval men gave up living in trees and founded the first homes in caves. It is so long ago we must call it the Stone Age, not knowing exactly how many hundred years an age may be. In some fashion it was discovered they could use the stones of the field as tools and arms. When the first men found that the limb of a tree would make a club with which they could conquer the wild beasts about them, the first great step in advance was made. The club was a weapon. Another stick, at last, grew to be a bow. A sharp stone became an arrowhead. A rounded stone became a hammer. And these arms and tools marked the great advance of the race in what we, in a vague and general way, call the Stone Age. The weathering of rocks left rifts and caves in the rocky hills. Into these holes the Stone Age men crept for shelter. The loose boulders of the field were picked up and piled rudely around the entrance of the caves, and the first walls appeared. Today we explore these old caves, long filled with sand and rubbish, and pick out of the gravel the cracked bones of prehistoric animals and the tools and arms of these poor, starved, and wretched creatures, and wonder at the pitiable scenes they suggest. These poor fellows crack the very bones of their wild enemies to eat the marrow. Their arms were chipped flints, their needles, thorns, their dress, the skins of animals, their homes, a cave. The idea of picking up loose stones and fragments of rock and piling these about the entrance of a cave was the first glimmer of light, the first vague hint that men were builders. There were no stone-cutting tools, not even so simple a tool as a crowbar. Every stone used was so small it could be lifted by two men. The stones were placed in a line and other stones were piled on top. So rude and frail were these first walls that no trace of them exists. Hundreds of years probably passed before the men appeared who laid the walls whose remains we can faintly trace today. We may read with wonder of the discovery of ancient walls built before history began, but these remains are comparatively modern beside the perished work of the first stonemasons. The history of house-building is the history of civilization. From the rude wall about the mouth of the cave sprang the walled hut with a roof of wood and thatch, and this was the first house. Huts of wood and tents of skins perhaps appeared even sooner, but these were temporary dwellings. The first permanent homes were, no doubt, built largely of stones and boulders picked up in the fields. The next great step was the discovery of mortar or cement for binding the stones together. When and where it was first used we have no means of knowing. Stone-cutting tools for shaping and fitting stones together marked the next great advance. Their use may have preceded the use of mortar. Of these things there is great uncertainty, and only students of the history of architecture are really interested in the matter. 
For us, in our studies of the rocks, we have only to observe this. The stones and boulders of the field made the materials of the first permanent homes. Today, natural stone is the foundation of every house, and will be more and more used for the chief material of all our buildings. It is in more senses than one that we build our homes upon a rock. When the first house builders began to use stones for their walls, they took no heed of the color or the character of the stones. It was not till architecture became an art, it was not till really great buildings like the pyramids and temples of Egypt appeared, that the builders began to see that certain stones are better for building than others. Only when modern tools and steam power appeared did it become possible to use building stones cheaply, so that not only cathedrals could be built of fine stones, but also the dwellings of the common people. When the great science of geology grew up, a vast deal of knowledge concerning building stones was gathered, so that today we use the rocks to build cheaper, more substantial, and more beautiful homes than ever before. Besides this, we have a goodly inheritance in the rocky hills of our country. Nowhere in the world can be found a greater variety and abundance of beautiful building stones. Our rivers, coasts, and railroads make it possible to bring these stones from their native beds to all parts of the Union quickly and cheaply. Today, the public buildings in nearly every state shine with the gray granite of the Bay State, and our dead sleep beside white marble from Vermont. Procure a piece of granite, a piece of sandstone, and a piece of chalk. Here are three rocks, each representing, as we may have already learned from our studies in geology, the three great classes into which all rocks are divided. Examine each piece carefully and make full notes of its character. The granite is composed of bits of feldspar, sharp crystals of quartz, and scales and flakes of mica. These white, gray, and black materials are mixed together in the wildest confusion, interlaced without any regular order. Hold the stone in a bright light and move it about, and some parts will reflect the light like glass. With a hammer, break the stone into pieces. The stone breaks with an irregular fracture, leaving sharp edges. Lay some of the small pieces on iron or other hard surfaces and grind it up into fine dust with the hammer. Examine this dust with a magnifying glass, and the fine fragments are sharp and jagged and of irregular shapes. With the proper tools, we can cut the granite and give it a smooth surface that will take a high polish. In color, the stone will be gray or red, ranging from a very light gray to a dark bluish gray or some shade of red or reddish gray. The sandstone will present wholly different qualities. It is much softer than the granite, and when rubbed against any hard substance, a fine dust comes off. This dust under the magnifying glass is found to be sand. This sand, if closely examined, is much like the quartz in the granite. The stone breaks much more easily than the other. It seems to split as if the sand of which it is composed is placed in layers. A close examination shows this is so. The sand is laminated or arranged in layers. The color will range from dark red or yellow to very light shades of red and pale yellow. The piece of chalk will be quite a different rock. It is so soft that it easily rubs off into a fine white powder. If this is examined under a powerful microscope, it will be found to consist of the broken remains of shells and the bony fragments of minute marine creatures that were once alive in some ancient sea. The chalk breaks up into dust very easily and appears to have no particular structure. These three stones represent the three great classes of rocks. 
the igneous rocks of which the crystalline granite is an example, the sandstones, and the organic rocks. The chalk represents the last class because composed of organic remains. The igneous or fire-formed stones represent the oldest rocks. The sandstones and organic rocks represent the sedimentary or water-formed rocks. The sandstones are formed of the remains of the old granites weathered away and turned to sand. This sand was laid down in water in layers and in time turned to stone. The limestones or organic rocks, represented by the chalk, are composed of the remains of animals and were also formed under water. So all rocks are in one of two classes, the igneous or sedimentary, the last class being divided into sandstones and organic rocks. Our building stones are found chiefly in the first two of these classes. Not all rocks are fit for building materials. Chalk, we can easily see, is too soft, and if piled up to form a wall, would crush and break by its own weight. Some stones are too brittle, others too loose, so that they are easily broken or easily worn away by the weather. Mica is a stone, so is coal, yet neither is fit for building materials. They would be quite as useless as chalk. Some sandstones are so soft that they crumble into dusty sand the moment we try to cut them into shape to fit the walls of our homes. Countless experiments with all kinds of rock have shown that only certain kinds are fit for building materials. A home is a shelter from the weather. It must stand beating rains, must be strong enough to hold up the weight of snow on the roof and the contents of its floors. It should be fireproof and it should also be beautiful in color. The different properties of building stone stand in this order. Toughness or solidity to resist crushing under heavy weights, hard enough to resist weathering, not easily injured by fire, and its texture should be such that it is easily worked or cut, and when cut or polished, will keep its shape and fine surface. The best building stones are granite, sandstone, slate, and marble. The granite belongs to the igneous class, the slate and sandstone to the sedimentary rocks, the slate being composed of fine, soft silt instead of sand. The marble is a limestone having a crystalline character. It does not, however, show any traces of the organic remains of which it is thought it was once composed. The limestone is an organic, sedimentary rock. These rocks are hard, strong, and durable, and from them men have built their homes for centuries. The study of these building stones is well worth our attention because the quarrying of the stone from the earth forms one of our greatest sources of wealth, and the work gives employment to great numbers of men. Nothing seemed to the early settlers on the shores of Massachusetts Bay more worthless than the red rocks of Cohasset and the rough range of hills just south of Boston, known as the Blue Hills. Yet from these hills have been taken millions and millions of money in beautiful granite. The red rocks behind old Minot's light have been the scene of many a shipwreck, yet these lovely red granites round which the waves beat in storms are the most valuable building stones we have. At one time there were quarries at Cohasset, but as often happens, other and more beautiful stones have been found now in other places. Moreover, while we as a nation live in wooden houses, even our wooden houses must rest on stone foundations. These building stones are many of them of great beauty, and it is for this, if for no other reason, we should study them, that whenever we see them we shall recognize the different kinds, and in building a home, learn to use them with taste and with due regard to their artistic value. 
In building a home, the first and most important part is the foundation. The ground is always damp, and a wooden house built directly on the earth would soon decay and fall to pieces. Stones that will resist moisture must be used as a foundation on which to rest the wooden sills of the house. The igneous rocks, like the granites, are the best. Soft red sandstones are often not much better than wood. The red color of sandstone comes from the iron it contains. The iron binds the sand together, and often the iron will rust and turn to dust, and the stone will rapidly turn into a heap of red sand. The best test in selecting a stone for foundation is the appearance of the stone after long exposure to the weather. A hard stone will have a smooth surface with weather stains. A soft stone will be dusty and loose on the outside, like the red, rotten stone so common in the fields of New England. Boulders and water-washed stones loose in the fields, relics of the Ice Age, are all good. Granites that are very heavy, and that turn red or brown when exposed to the weather, contain iron and, like the sandstones, will rust and fall to pieces. There are, however, red sandstones that are excellent, but as a general rule, sandstones will not stand much moisture. In a wall where the rain will run off and leave them dry, they are very good, but great pains should be taken to see that all the upper surfaces slope downward so that the rain and snow water will run off. Red sandstone of a very inferior quality was once used in New York City for houses, but it soon decayed over the doors and windows wherever the water would stand after a rain and had to be given up. Stones for floors, hearths, sidewalks, and pavements have to be considered in quite another aspect. At one time, the sidewalks in Boston were covered with a beautiful silvery-white sandstone. It split easily into thin slabs and made a cheap and handsome walk, but very soon it began to wear down under the footsteps of the passers. The mica in the stone was so brittle it quickly broke off in fine scales and dust, and the stone was soon full of ruts and holes. This is the mechanical side of the matter. Had the stone been used on edge instead of in the natural layers, it would have resisted the wear and tear of passing feet. To cut it in this way, as if it were across the grain, would be too expensive, so the stone, beautiful as it was, had to be given up. The test for such stones is likewise a matter of observation. Sandstones, as a rule, are entirely unsuited for floors and pavements. Slate and marble are far better. Granite is perhaps too hard, and unless made very smooth, is unpleasant for the feet, on account of its roughness and hardness. For walls, nearly all rocks are useful, provided they are strong enough to resist crushing under heavy weights and will not decay. If properly cut and placed in the wall so that they will shed the rain, we can use granites, sandstones, marbles, and limestones. For roofs, floors, and stairs, slate is the best as it can be split into thin, light slabs. In the selection of stones for building a home, we need not fear to go astray. The character of all our native building stones is being better known every year. There have been made through scientific tests of the endurance of these stones, their power to resist crushing under weight, and their ability to withstand our severe climates. Some of our museums contain examples of all our best stones, and the dealers and quarrymen are now very thorough in their tests of all the stones cut out of our mountains. Formerly, anything that was a hard stone was thought to be good enough for building purposes, and great quantities of poor stones were formerly sold and used, notably in New York City. Architects are more particular now, and there is very little danger of being deceived in the matter.
the chief thing we should do in this country is to pay more attention to the color and artistic effects of stones in our houses quincy granite is a fine dark gray stone admirable for a county jail or a lighthouse for a home it is too heavy and somber a dwelling should be more cheerful and attractive and a lighter colored granite and one with a finer texture would be better the brown stone or red sandstone so much used in new york city is soft easily worked and cheap it is fairly durable but its color is very bad as it makes the streets dark and gloomy the peculiar wavy appearance caused by the irregular layers of the sand make this stone one of the most beautiful we have and if used with granite or with lighter colored stones it can be made very artistic the buff and yellow sandstones have a fine color and are very much in favor on this account marbles are of course the most beautiful stones we have both for interior and exterior work and for floors there are also some limestones that are occasionally used for dwellings the best plan is to use two or even three different stones and to use the colors together to form agreeable artistic effects there is no guide in this matter each must be a guide unto himself or leave the matter entirely to the architect every year there is a disposition to greater variety and greater freedom in the use of our building stones the colors are durable and the tones and shades sufficiently varied to give us a chance to produce the most excellent results within the past few years a number of houses have been built in massachusetts of the common stones of the field picked up with all the moss and weather stains still on them and carefully worked into the walls just as they are the effect is very picturesque in small low houses like lodges and seaside cottages the buildings appear to be part of the fields in which they stand and the irregular size and shape of the stones give an air of old-fashioned solidity that is very attractive every year more and more stone houses are built they are warmer in winter and cooler in summer than wooden houses they need no painting and are far more durable than a house of wood one very good style has appeared lately and that is a two-story house having the first story of rough stone in two colors and the second story of wood the future promises still greater improvement and advance in this great branch of our nation's industry. End of Rocks for Homes by Charles Barnard.